Welcome to Ask the Investigator, brought to you by the Journal of Drugs and Dermatology. The JDD podcast illuminates timely scientific content through thoughtful discussion with top dermatology authors. Subscribe to the Journal of Drugs and Dermatology at jddonline.com to browse the current issue and evidence-based peer-reviewed archives. Welcome back to the latest episode of the JDD podcast series. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Friedman, professor and chair of dermatology at GW School of Medicine and Health Sciences. This month, I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. David Rosemarin, a fellow collector of titles. He's assistant professor of dermatology, residency program director, and director of the clinical trials unit at Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston, Massachusetts. Today, we've been talking about his newest paper published in the 2019 April edition of the JDD entitled Treatment of Psoriasis with Biologics and Apremolast in Patients with a History of Malignancy, a Retrospective Chart Review. We'll deep dive into the impetus for this study, how it all came to be, and what was learned. I'll then get to pick Dr. Rosman's brain on his management of psoriasis, especially when considering comorbidities. Today's episode is the beginning of a new series of continuing education podcasts presented over the next nine months. The series is supported by an educational grant provided by Orthodermatologics. To find out more and to take the online post-test and earn credit, please visit jddonline.com and click CME in the main menu. Participants who earn a minimum passing grade of 70% on the post-test will be eligible to receive up to 0.5 credit hours of AMA PRA Category 1 or ANCC credit per podcast. Upon completion of this enduring activity, participants should be able to discuss the available data on the use of biologics in patients with a history of malignancy, determine appropriate screening for patients prior to starting a systemic therapy for psoriasis, and summarize effective psoriasis treatment strategies in patients with comorbid conditions. And given this is CE, I have to bore you to tears with our uh, relevant disclosures. For myself, this includes serving as a consultant for Novartis and on the Speakers Bureau for Janssen. Uh, Dr. Rosemary has received honoraria as consultant for AbbVie, Celgene, Janssen, Lilly, Novartis, Pfizer, has received research support from Abby Bristol-Myers, Squibb, Celgene, Janssen, Lilly, Novartis, Pfizer, and has served as a paid speaker for AbbVie, Celgene, Janssen, Lilly, Novartis, and no surprise, Pfizer. Have to keep it lively. Now, welcome, uh, David. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for inviting me. So let's just dive right in. Um, you know, how did you come up with this study? Yeah, so this is something that um, comes up uh, as a very practical matter um, when we're seeing patients where sometimes we'll see a patient who happens to have uh, a malignancy or cancer, and we ask ourselves, what, what do we do? And when we look back in the literature, there really is a lack of evidence for patients with psoriasis and and also have a cancer. How how do we treat them? Is it is it safe to use a biologic or methotrexate um, or a premolast? And there's really a lack of of data. Um, so so this was a retrospective chart review, and you know as you mentioned, there there really isn't a lot out there to help guide us as clinicians. Um, Doing this retrospective chart review, were there any hurdles in terms of you know formulating your search parameters, getting access to charts, uh, any kind of institutional hurdles in order to get that data? Yeah, there were multiple cha- challenges in conducting this study uh, retrospective review. First, um, we get a lot of referrals from um, patients on the outside, and we may not have all the data about their cancer treatments, which can be done at other institutions. 
So that data is limited. Um, we also have sometimes there's information missing from charts. There's also um, limited in terms of the number of patients. I ideally, we would want you know, hundreds of patients to really get the, the best data possible. Um, and here we, we only had 16 patients in our retrospective review. So, so let's get to it. What did you find out? What did you learn from this retrospective study? So um, in the study, we had um, 16 patients who um, had a history of a non a not a non-melanoma skin cancer. And um, nine of the patients even had um, a cancer diagnosis within the previous five years. Um, and none of the patients, when they were started on either a premolest or a biologic, um, did we see any worsening of their cancer via clinical signs or radiographic data. And so in thinking about what you found, has this changed your practice at all? Well, I think we have to be um, careful in the terms of this is one step in um, providing s some data about use of biologics in a premolest in psoriasis patients with malignancy, but it's certainly not definitive and, and enough for us to say it's safe to use these medications. But we always have to look at the patient individually and ask ourselves if the risks um, are outweighed by the benefits of the treatment. And if you have a patient who has a um, metastatic cancer, um, but they're really suffering for their pommel plant or psoriasis, and the benefits of treating the patient may outweigh the risks that may come up with, with using that treatment. I think it always has to be decided on, on an individual basis at this point. So, so where do we go from here? Is, is, are there plans to do further studies? Because you're right, this is, you're talking about a small N. It's hard to hang your hat on um, a small number of patients studying. And of course, you, you mentioned the limitations, you know, missing chart information, external referrals being your, you know, an institution. Uh, what can be done to better understand these risks? Because we know in the clinical trials, very often these patients are excluded. You know, usually, you know, no malignancy within the past five years in order to be eligible for the study. So what, what do we do next here? So it's, it's still a challenge to study, but um, one of the better ways to get more information about this is to utilize registries to see, so we can have larger pools of data, not just from one institution, for patients who have a history of malignancy, but in regular clinical practice, happen to have been treated with um, biologics or a premolest and following what happens to them. And then comparing that to um, perhaps controls that are, that are age matched with, um, with similar cancers and similar treatments. So that would be the, a more ideal way to try to, to get a better sense of really, does using biologics or a premolest in these patients worsen their cancer? And how do these patients do? Now, uh, I, I'm aware of the SOLAR registry. Are there any other ongoing registries that could be useful, or this is something kind of got to start from scratch and, and, and build out longitudinally? The, the SOLAR registry is run by Janssen, and, which um, makes ustekinumab and gaselkumab. Um, and they actually looked at a related question, but not the same question, where uh, does long-term treatment with um, biologics such as TNF-alpha inhibitors and ustekinumab, is that associated with uh, malignancy? And what they found was that long-term treatment with um, anti-TNFs 
did have some slight increased risk of malignancy, but they didn't find that for um, ustekinumab or methotrexate. There is another registry that's run um, by the Natural Psoriasis Foundation called Corona, which can also be mined for similar type of data um, to help answer, answer these questions. But there is a difference in terms of looking at a patient's risk for developing cancer as opposed to treating a patient with a history of cancer already. My, my guess is most practicing dermatologists would be very hesitant to consider that given that this has not been studied, these patients are often excluded uh, from the phase three uh, study programs. Uh, so, so what's the take home message here? You know, someone listening to this who may have that patient come in with maybe a history of you know, colon cancer six years ago, um, you know, what, what kind of guidance can you offer? Or maybe we're not there yet. Maybe we don't have appropriate guidance based on, on the available data. Yeah. Well, I think we still have to be quite cautious at making recommendations to, uh, to patients. Um, but what I think we should do is we need to look at the, the, the benefits and risks uh, of treating with these medications for the individual patient. So if a patient comes in with colon cancer that's just been diagnosed within the past year or, or even five years ago, if they're really suffering and have a really horrible quality of life, it may make sense to use one of these medications in these patients. Obviously, um, working as a team and in conjunction with the oncologist or gastroenterologist, um, and, and that's been our practice as well. If a patient just has, they're more moderate um, and the disease is not really affecting their quality of life, I would be much more hesitant to start them on one of these treatments because of the there's still some risk involved. But this is, again, a first step into gathering some data that, well, in this group of patients, even though it's small, we didn't see a worsening of the cancer um, via clinical data or radiographic signs. No, I mean, I think that's that's great advice based on the data available. I think that's that's very meaningful. So to kind of switch gears a little bit um, beyond even malignancy, let's you know talk about just your personal management of psoriasis. And you see a lot of these patients. Um, and just talk about screening psoriasis patients for comorbidities. Um, I think this would approach would be somewhat different for a new patient. You know, someone's being referred to you versus someone you've been following over time. Um, you know, how do you how do you kind of start that conversation? Because I personally have had an int interesting conversation with the patients because they're like, "What do you mean this is a stomach disease? How what, high blood pressure? What are you talking about?" Um, how do you engage that conversation and get them on board with the concept that this is a chronic systemic disease, not just a skin disease? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, we all have busy practices and are trying to be as efficient as possible, but still want to make sure we deliver great care and and really help our patients out. Um, so the most important thing I think is to make sure we screen patients for the arthritis, which can occur you know, around a third of patients who have psoriasis. And if the patients have more severe psoriasis, um, then their risk can go up to as high as about 45%. And the, the problem with the arthritis in our psoriasis patients is it's often erosive and causes structural damage. So the screening questions that I personally ask is, are you having any stiffness or pain in, in your joints? And oftentimes, if they say yes to that, I'll try to follow it up to get a sense of, is it an inflammatory arthritis versus an osteoarthritis? So for example, do they have stiffness, particularly when they wake up in the morning? And does it take about 45 minutes or an hour to, to resolve? Do they wake up in the middle of the night with, with back pain? 
I think those are all good screening questions to try to get at the fact if a patient has arthritis or not. Other questions that I ask patients is if they have any history or family history of inflammatory bowel disease, if they have any uh, history or family history of multiple sclerosis, if they have a fear of injections. I also try to ask them some questions about their um, cardiac care, for instance, if they have any diabetes, which puts them at even further risk for um, heart disease, if they have hypertension. Um, luckily, we have a form that we give all new patients, um, and now we give it to return patients as well, where they uh, circle boxes if they have some of these cardiovascular risk factors. Yeah, I think handouts and forms we have busy practices. We don't have a lot of time to ask all these questions. Using forms and validated tools, I think, make a very big difference. I personally have been cheating recently using the Grappa app that has the the PEST tool to kind of screen for psoriatic arthritis. And it, it definitely has made my life a lot easier to kind of, one, remember all the right questions, and two, just kind of burn right through them with the patient. Do you know of any resources? I imagine the MPF would be one, but any helpful resources that can enable the busy practitioner uh, to either maybe pre-screen as the patient's waiting out in the waiting room or something can hand them once they come back to the room that, that you and uh, your colleagues use at Tufts? So the Grappa app is, is great for, for screening for, for arthritis, but I think just asking a patient simply, do you have any joint pain or stiffness? And I think it's important to mention stiffness is, um, is really the main thing that's needed and the crux of what you can get out of the, if the patient has arthritis or not. And then oftentimes, if a practitioner is not, not comfortable really getting um, at the fact as if it's arthritis or uh, due to the psoriasis, or if it is osteoarthritis or arthritis from a different cause, um, refer to a rheumatologist because that, that really may change management um, for the patient. And again, it's important to diagnose it early because um, if a patient has arthritis that's untreated, it can cause um, erosions and damage to the cartilage. Now, does the president, so let's say you screen and some, you know you get a history of hypertension, cardiovascular disease, uh, diabetes, uh, does the presence of known comorbidities change your therapeutic approach or aggressiveness? Yeah, that's another, again, another great question. So if we find that the patient has other cardiovascular risk factors, we usually reach out to the primary care physician or if the patient has a cardiologist just to make sure that they're aware that the psoriasis also adds an additional level of, of risk for cardiovascular disease. In terms of a lot of the other uh, comorbidities, it, it certainly can change our treatment. So if a patient has arthritis um, so that's psoriatic, we will give often a uh, TNF-alpha inhibitor or anti-IL-17 treatment as our, as our first-line approach. Now, there are other treatments such as um, ustekinumab and apremolis, which are approved for psoriatic arthritis, but our preferred treatments are the anti-TNFs and anti-IL-17s. If a patient has inflammatory bowel disease, even though patients have been treated with anti-IL-17s in the studies, um, because there is a slight risk for new onset or exacerbating existing um, Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, we'll prefer to use other agents um, such as TNF-alpha inhibitors, ustekinumab, or anti-IL-23s, which seem to have activity to treat inflammatory bowel disease. For multiple patients who have multiple sclerosis or family history, um, the anti-TNFs may exacerbate 
um, demyelinating disorders. So we prefer to give ustekinumab or an anti-IL-17, um, which may even have protective effects for these patients. And one of the things that I also like to ask patients is if they have uh, fear of injections, because that, that may also play into, do we give a patient um, a medicine that is an injectable once a week, or do we try to choose an agent that's injected every three months? Another comorbidity that, um, that I think is important to know about is diabetes, where a premolest may um, have some ability to slightly decrease the hemoglobin A1C levels. It also, as a side effect, has uh, weight loss, which can be beneficial to some, some patients, particularly the di type 2 diabetics. So, so now the, the golden question, for which there's no right answer, um, but I think this is what everyone always wants to know for those who take care of a lot of these patients, how do you decide, and there could be an algorithm here, which systemic agent to, to use when you're going to go the systemic route? Yeah, that is the question, the golden question that everybody wants to know. Personally, I feel like there shouldn't be a, um, an algorithm where a patient's treated always with one medicine first line, another medicine second line, but we should really make it uh, treat the patient individually. And I use all the treatment options first line, really depends on the individual patient. One of the key questions I ask patients is uh, how rapidly they want to get better. And oftentimes the patients really want a rapid response. If they have prom coming up or a wedding coming up, now that we're heading into the summer months um, where some patients want to be able to go to the beach without, without a shirt or wear short sleeve clothes. Um, so some of the anti-IL-17s are particularly rapid um, because based on their mechanism of action. So that may push me to using that class of medicines. Also, certainly the comorbidities direct us into, into different directions, as we spoke about earlier. There are some differences in terms of efficacy amongst the different treatments. And I also, um, it matters to patients, the frequency of injections. There are some patients who like injecting more regularly or don't mind it, and some patients who really fear doing the injections and, and require um, office visits or uh, nursing assistants to, to receive their injections. So I think that all goes into deciding which medicine should be used for, for a particular patient. That's a great answer. Now, putting your program director hat on, you know, what, what are some of the key things you hope your residents, as they go into the world, as, as grown-up dermatologists, what are some of the key things you hope they take away whether it be from the study or from training with you about their approach to psoriasis and hope you you they and you hope they remember. Yeah. So first, always want patients, uh, sorry, our residents, to put themselves in the patient's shoes and really understand how much these patients suffer with disease. It's not a statistic. It's really all about the patient. We don't treat the disease. We treat the the patient. So, if a patient just has a little bit of psoriasis. On, but it's on their face or it's on their scalp or, or genitals in key areas, but it's, it's really affecting them, then it, it's important to be more aggressive than if a patient has maybe more severe disease on the trunk, but it's really not bothering them. And it's important to screen for these comorbidities and not get in the habit of using um, the same treatment 
um, always first line, but really trying to decide what is the best treatment for this particular patient. And I think that makes us better dermatologists and gets us uh, our patients to be happier. That's great. And any last thoughts for our audience here? Yeah. So I think there are, there are still some other outstanding questions that we, that are important to answer. So one of the other one of one of the more common cancer treatments, which has um, been increasing, it, is these PD one inhibitors or checkpoint inhibitors using immunotherapy, and we still don't we still don't have a good sense of what it means to use a biologic possibly with those treatments, and there is some evidence about whether the TH17 disease uh, pathway can be pathologic in uh, certain cancers. So there's even a study ongoing right now with gaselgamab for patients who have uh, familial adenomatous polyposis to see if it will reduce the risk for uh, colon cancer. And I think that's an interesting developing story, whether some of our biologics may actually be helpful in certain cancer treatments rather than harmful. Yeah, clearly a lot more to learn here. So thank you so much, Dr. Rosmarin, for joining us. Uh, and thank you all for tuning in. Yes, we are back and better than ever. So please make sure to tune in to next month's edition of the JDD Podcast. You've been listening to JDD Podcast, Ask the Investigator, the number one podcast for dermatology pearls. Our host is Dr. Adam Friedman. The podcast is produced and edited by Emily lynch Fries. Our theme music is designed for life by Young Presidents. New episodes are available the first Friday of every month. Check us out at jddonline.com podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to talk to us about this or any other episode, email us at info at jddonline.com. Subscribe and review the podcast on iTunes or Google Play, and don't forget to catch our next episode. Thanks for listening.